So, if you've got your Bibles, guess what? We're returning to the Ephesians series. So, um, before Christmas, in case you're new and you weren't around, Ephesians is a book in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters to a church there that he planted um, in that corner of Turkey, um, which modern-day Turkey as we know it today. A wonderful church and a wonderful letter. And in case you want to do your homework, Acts chapter 19, you can read all about how Ephesus started. But I've put on there, on that uh, PowerPoint, on to maturity. And underneath it says Ephesians, finding our true identity. Honestly, honestly folks, find your identity in Christ alone. Honestly. There's many things that want to try and buy for your identity. Some people want to steal your identity, don't they, today? We hear about that. But Ephesians and the, and the Bible, the New Testament particularly, will tell you who God is, and more importantly, today, for us, in such a crazy world, who we are. So we're going to look today at going on to maturity. So if you've got your Bibles, just turn up, or your phones, Ephesians chapter 4, and there's a little thing on there, 4 to 16. I'd rather not the verses come up, because I'd like to read them to you. And plus, I want to encourage you to bring a Bible. I keep saying that. And bring a notepad, because you might get something that you think, oh, years ago, we used to write, write things down. And uh, something might, you might just think, that's for me. Make a note, and then you can reflect on it, and uh, there you go. So, Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 16. Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until... We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth 
in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Father, we thank you for your word. We declare, Lord, that your word is our final authority in all matters of faith and life. Lord, we submit to your word, the Bible. We will build on you alone because you are the living word. Lord, we build on Christ alone. All of the ground is sinking sand. Father, I pray this morning that you will open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, to those who are blind this morning, who can't see, I pray, Holy Spirit, that by a miracle you will open their eyes to see the wonders of God. To see the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, we want to give you all the glory. We say it all belongs to you. Will you come, Holy Spirit, now? Will you take these words of mine? Teach me as I speak, Lord. Lord, prepare our hearts. Will you minister to those who need comfort this morning? I pray you will comfort, Lord. Those who need conviction, Lord, I pray you will convict them. And Lord, that you will press us on in you this morning as we come around your word. Thank you for this church. Any who are anxious this morning, pray that you will be their peace. We ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So as I say, today we're returning to uh, our Ephesians service that we began the back end of last year, working our way through the book. And uh, if you remember, right at the outset of this chapter, you may not remember it, but if you look down at your, at your scripture or your phone, and in verse 1, uh, Paul exhorts the Ephesians, and bear in mind he's a prisoner. <laughs> he's in chains when he writes this. And he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And in the scripture we've just read from verse 4 onwards, it talks about one body, one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. I want to encourage you this morning. You've been called. You've been called. Sometime in your life, don't know what it was, maybe it was many years ago, maybe it was this week, or maybe it's this morning, God's voice through human vessels is calling to you and what a call we have because we have a call to a great hope and it's not a hope that thinks I hope it doesn't rain today I get the barbie out it's a hope that says this is going to happen
I want to encourage, you know, great to hear Terry saying, Jesus is coming back. My good old dad used to talk, he used to preach on what was called a blessed hope. And we don't hear a lot of preaching on the second coming today. But Jesus is coming back. That's our hope. That's the hope ultimately to which you've been called. This life's okay. But I don't want to stay here forever. (laughs) Because this is not it. Last couple of weeks we looked at the cure for anxiety. And we looked at, didn't we? Don't, don't lay up treasures on earth where the scallies will come and steal them just like they do now, just like they did back then. But lay up your treasures in heaven. Invest in your true future. Don't get too attached down here, really, folks. You have a great hope. And Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of that hope. So look at what he says here. And bearing in mind the context of Ephesians. So I want to put it into context. You know, Ephesians is, or Ephesus is very much, it was a very prosperous town, city at the time. But it was very, I'm going to say a, a technical word, and i explain what I mean, polytheistic. That means many gods. Is that not the day we live in? There are many gods. Vying for your worship. It was a polytheistic place. It was a promiscuous place. Anything went. Sexually. Does that sound like the day we live in? So, the book of Ephesians has got something to say to us today. It was a prosperous place. Now, the funny thing about our world, we have a big divide between rich and poor, don't we? There are many making a lot of money. Many people are very resentful about People who are making millions today, whereas others are struggling to pay a bill this winter. There are prosperous and there are poor. All those features were in Ephesus. So if you think, the Bible, in essence, has got something to say to us today. It's not yesterday's book, it's today's and tomorrow's book. So Ephesus is a city And a place is very similar to us today. So how do we mature in Christ when we're bombarded? Do you feel bombarded? Bombarded by secular values from a world in total opposition to God. How do we mature? You see, we talked about the world the other week, didn't we? And we said there's two. Anyone remember the word for world we looked at? Begins with C. Think of your makeup ladies. Cos. Cosmos. Cosmetic. Cosmos. Two words in the Greek for world. Cosmos. And ethnos, right? Ethnos. Ethnic. People. That's what that stands for. That's what it means. It means there are many people in the world. God so loves the ethnos. He loves everybody. He's a God of love. But there's a world system, the cosmos, that is totally against God. 
And you know, sadly, over years, the church really, dare I say, and I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about the church, especially in the West, it's very immature. If God's good to me, I'll serve him. But what about a trial has come? Oh, it doesn't work about Christianity. I tried it for a bit. And then trouble came. I thought I'd be alright. I thought it was I thought it was all your best life now. Your best life is ahead. God's with you in this life now. But your best life lays ahead. But you see, the trouble is, that cosmos has crept into the church. So there are many values now that are coming in. Some people would say, is this the word of God? Or is it a suggestion book? Or is it a self-help book? I'll take the bits I like. But I'm not sure about that other stuff. I'll, uh, where's my scissors? I'll cut that bit out and put it on the fridge. It's a good bit. Not sure about that bit. Folks, this is the word of God. I might go to prison one day for saying that. I don't know. But we will stand on nothing else in this house while I'm here. And God willing, God will mature us. There'll be things that actually irk us when we read it. Oh, that's hard. We can't skate round the hard scriptures, folks. We've got to live in them. So how, does, how, do we, how do we function in a very secular world? What are our values? What are our values here? What are the things that are going to make us grow? You know, have you ever heard the term post-Christian? It doesn't mean a postman who's a Christian. It means that years ago, it was mentioned this morning, that we, our country was built on Judeo-Christian values. That means Jewish Christian. So in other words, we have a structure that we've built, an absolute that we've built our society on. But bit by bit, they've eroded. And I read one definition this week of what is called post-Christianity, i.e. after. It's almost like after Christianity. And this is what it said. Post-Christianity is the situation in which Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion of a society, but has gradually assumed values, culture, and worldviews that are not necessarily Christian. Ouch. That's hard-hitting. You know, people say, the church is finished, isn't it? <laughs> they don't know what the church is. Because the church is a living organism. It's not a religious organisation. Religious organisations have got their end coming. The great C.H. Spurgeon, one of my historical heroes, I talk about him a lot, many years ago, because he's been dead many years, 
went to the Colosseum in Rome. And he walked around the Colosseum. And he thought, many, many thousands of Christians died in this place at the behest of Rome. They wanted to wipe out Christianity. They wanted to destroy the church. But it's the Colosseum that had fallen down and was decaying. It was a relic of the past. The church of Jesus Christ was everywhere. I want to encourage you. Great things are happening across the nations in the church that you won't hear about in the media. And you won't, it, it puts the Western church to shame. Today, churches will meet in secret around the word of God and to praise. Because they can't. What a freedom we have. Wow. So how do we come to maturity? Well, Paul, you know, says in this passage, just look down in your Bible at verse 4 again. He says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you call to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is through over all, through all in all. This is basically what we are. We're actually believing one God in three persons. We believe in one body. Now you might think, well, why are there so many denominations? If we're one body, why? why? There's a zillion denominations. Have a Google of it. But ultimately, we're one. Sadly, denominations come because of, usually, the pride of man. But also, it can come on division on this. And we could get into a big debate today on how do you interpret the Bible? It's fairly clear when you read it. But you know, for my own story, you know, I was brought up an Anglican, which again, any Anglicans in here, you know what, may know what that was like. My dad was a Bible-believing, and he got in trouble for preaching the Bible. A charismatic Anglican vicar in the 60s and 70s was not very popular. Now it's, you know, you look on look at HDB, brilliant, great things happening, all that kind of stuff. But for me, I was in this Anglican church, and I didn't really get it because I could see the life of God. And more happened in our house than happened in the building. See, the building was traditional. It was almost like you had to fit into this church culture. And you couldn't, you know, I had about one church where the vicar wanted to move the piano across the sanctuary. I said, you can't do it. We had to have a meeting. We had to have a committee meeting. And there was this, they, didn't, they wouldn't let him do it. They wanted to do it. So what he did was, he moved it four inches every Sunday. <laughs> and eventually, it was a bit like, you know, Boiling the frog in the water, no one really, and it, the piano made its way to the other side. And it just happened slowly. But that's religion. That's not the church. How do we get like that? So for me, I, I went to a Bible week and I was a teenager. And I, everyone, Bible, what's a Bible? I'm hearing about it. Bible week? 
What's a Bible week? Sounds a bit unusual, doesn't it? And my uncle said, oh, it's great. We go and camp. <laughs> my only cousins are coming. It's going to be great. We have a great celebration. It's great fun. Go out places and we go into great meetings and worship God. I said, oh, yeah, put me down. And I went along and my life changed. I was 17 years of age. Had seen the Holy Spirit in our house doing things, but never encountered him really myself. That week my life turned upside down. Baptised in water. Baptised in the Holy Spirit. Spoke in tongues. Life changed. I saw these churches where men and women had decided we can't fit anymore in these denominations. We, we need to meet in a different setting. We need to go back to what the Bible says the church is. And so numerous house fellowships, some people will be nodding their heads, can I remember this, numerous house fellowships sprung up all over the world. And in our country particularly. And they grew and grew and grew and grew until they outgrew the house and they bought a warehouse and then it started to get big and then they created systems and guess what? You're back to square one and you have a mega church and you have a program and many, I'm not against mega church, please hear me, I'm not against places where God's welcome to move. But it's easy to lose that sense of organic presence of God around his word. And many people matured in those times, in those simple places. You may have found it yourself. But ultimately, we are one people. Big questions. Paul, in this passage, I believe, says some things that will help us mature. Just look down again. I'm conscious of time because I want to finish early today. But it talked about grace. You see, when you look at all that oneness, we said, I said last week, we're a, we're a bunch of misfits, really. We don't really, you know, God's brought us, look at us all. Just have a look around for a minute. And I look at myself. What a, God's brought us all together. God's brought us together to bring a, bring us together to be one people. But, there's an amazing word in verse 7. Can anyone see it? Second word, if you've got your Bible. Verse 7. But, what was it? Grace. grace. We're a grace community. A community of the grace of God. We don't deserve any of this. Grace is God's undeserved favour on our lives. And we've got to remember that as we grow together. It's grace that knocks the edges off us. Because I need loads of edges knocked off me. And God's doing it in all sorts of ways. He does it through you guys, through my family, through my own issues that I struggle with and I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. The grace of God is a wonderful thing. Never lose sight of God's grace. And it says here, Grace was given to us, to each of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, you know, I see that, what that's saying is, Christ's gift, total forgiveness. Total forgiveness. I love what Ash prayed this morning. Sins past, present and future, taken care of. 
Just let that sink into your mind. Because that's the grace of God to us. And Paul goes on, he says, Grace has been given to each one according to the measure of Christ's wonderful gift. And it says, therefore he ascended. Now the ascension, do you remember the disciples when they were with Jesus? Jesus died, he's been risen from the dead, and he spends 40 days teaching about the kingdom. And then one day he says, I'm going back. How would you feel? He talked to them the night before his crucifixion. He says, guys, I'm going to leave. What do you mean you're going? He says, I'm going back. I'm going, to do it. I'm going to do what I have to do. Die, be buried, be raised, and I'm going back. But I'm going to send someone. Who did he send? Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian this morning, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. We prayed this morning. We, said, we, don't, we don't come really to... We don't come in here to meet God, but we do. Do you, do you understand what I mean? It's not like God lives in this place. So we come and have a chat on a Sunday with him. He's in you. Do you remember what we said about call, the hope? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's in you. But he's in you by the Spirit. So when he went... When Jesus was on this earth, he could be in one place at one time. He said, I'm going back. I've done what I've come to do. It's finished. But now I'm going to send the one who will fill you. Will fill you, as Cedric prayed, from the top of your head to the bottom of your, to the end of your toes. I love that. So that you can do, go and do what Jesus did. So look down again. He ascended. What does that mean? But he also descended, he came here to the earth. And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. See, Jesus is on the throne now. The kingdom of God one day will, be, will come to fullness. It's almost for us now. It's the now and not yet. But it's here. The kingdom of God is the rule of God in your life. His rule. His reign. He has to be Lord of your life. He has to be the boss. He's not an optional extra. Well, I'll try Jesus. I'll live my life how I like, but I'll, I'll get a bit of religion as well. That is not what it's about, folks. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He's the king. He's, he's ascended. He's done his job. What must it have been like to be an angel in heaven when one day Jesus came back? The angels had scratched their heads thinking, what is going on? They didn't understand. There's God the Son being nailed to a cross, beaten, scourged for you and me. And the angels are like thinking, this, this should not be. They didn't understand. Any time Jesus could have said, enough, Father. And those angels could have obliterated this earth. But when Jesus came back on the clouds, 
having conquered sin and death, the new, last Adam, as he walked into heaven, holds in his hands and feet, and behind him, a parade of the greats, Abraham, Moses. They've all been waiting, you see. What did Jesus do on the three days when he was in the tomb? He said he went to preach to the spirits in captivity. <coughs> Held captive by death, he unlocked it. He said, come on boys, we're going home. And walked into heaven. And that cry from the Psalms, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, Jesus. Wow, that was the ascension. So Jesus is sat at the right hand of the Father this day, interceding for you and I. And he's sent the Spirit. And he's also sent something else. Look down. Ephesians 4, I'm going to do... John, get your timer on. Ten minutes. Ten past twelve, we'll finish. <laughs> Verse 11. And I've entitled this, The Ministries That Help Produce Our Maturity. So look what it says. He gave the apostles... The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all these ministries, what does it say to equip the saints? So, you know, apostles, prophets, pastors or shepherds, teachers, evangelists, all these ministry gifts are here to equip the church, that's us, to be who we are. See, a church run by one ministry becomes very myopic. Because one ministry tends to have a gift or whatever. You have a gift. But when we have a team of ministries, the apostles today, our apostles today, yes, I do believe there are apostolic ministry today. What we tend to do is we put them all to when they're dead. We're a bit like Roman Catholics. We, we, we make them saints. Smith Wigglesworth, the apostle of faith. Anyone, you wouldn't have called him apostle when he was here. John Wesley, George Whitfield. Apostolic, no doubt. Because to change the face of Christianity in our nation in their day. Church planting. Opening up nations. There are apostles today. They don't have the same authority as the apostles and the prophets who gave us this book. This, I believe, is infallible. I'm not. I'm under this. I'm not, I don't, I'm not above it. This is, this is what I stand on. You know, this morning I was praying. I got my manuscript to preach on. I, mean, I did something unusual. I'm praying in the dark in, in, in the house this morning. And I put my word inside, this inside here. I said, Lord, this has got to be in your, this has got to match to you. Please let it be your word. 
But those ministries, apostle, prophet, they'll equip the church. An apostle will bring that sending, pioneer, pilgrim heart to the church to keep the church moving. Because otherwise we fossilize. The prophet comes in, provokes. I remember hearing about a prophet, prophetic ministry one day. He went to a church and he preached the word a few months before he came back. And um, he basically said, he preached the same word. And they all said, you, you preached that a few months, you came and you preached that a few months ago. Why did you do that? He said, because you're not doing it. The prophetic ministry will provoke the church to move on in all the ways of God. Evangelists, they speak for themselves. But they're not just your Billy Grahams. We all know Billy Graham's an evangelist, don't we? Great preacher. Wonderful man of God. But evangelists really make the church evangelistic. Like Roger, that man has got an evangelistic heart. Just be around him. And his passion for souls will come out. And you think, oh yeah. Yeah, I want, to go and, I want to go and share the gospel. They'll provoke you. We need it. I need it. The pastor teachers, the pastors are there to be there when we go through stuff, to carry us through some things. When we go through the toughies, you need shepherds. Put an arm around you and say, come on. God's called you. And teachers speak for themselves, teaching the word of God. So they're all there, these ministries, to help makers and causers to mature. Um, those words, they're quite strong. To equip. You drill down to what that word, to equip the church. It means to bring exact adjustment. To cause the individual parts to work together in correct order. Now picture that in the church. To cause the individual parts to work together. Do you remember in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about the church being a body. Got five minutes. And how a body moves and operates. We're not all one big toe. Or we're not all one big thumb. Or an ear. Everybody here has a part to play. And as we grow together, I'm, I'm loving seeing what the Lord's doing amongst us. I just stand and I'm amazed, really. <laughs> I'm amazed at what the Lord's doing. But that equipping, that equipping, ministries aren't here. I'm not here to stand on a platform. You know, I moved this down here for a reason. We're not about platforms and pedestals. It's not about that. If you think of a triangle and you think the pastor's at the top and everyone... No. It's the wrong image. Invert it. Turn it upside down. I'm here to push you guys on in all the ways of God. We're a journey together. That's equipping. Preparing you. Preparing God's people for works of service. You see, I'm not a professional, so... I love it when new people come in and don't know the Lord. God brings them. And I want that to happen more and more. But they're not coming to a show. We're not, you know, 
We are who we are. It's the Lord who saves people. I can't save anyone. If you wonder why you're here, God's brought you. He's drawn you here. He'll do his work. But really, when you get fired up in God, the purpose of this equipping and works of what are works of service? That when you leave this place, you go out and you take something that you've got and you share it. See, you're actually the the people who are going to win the world in West Orton. Wherever God's put you, be it in a school, a factory, wherever. That's your mission field. And you haven't got to bash them with the Bible every day. You've got to be like Jesus. And you'll have an impact. See, this is like, this is like a great place to have, it's a bit like a blacksmith shop. You know, a blacksmith shop, there's lots of smells and dark lots of bangs and crashes but in the old days a blacksmith was where you went to get your sword sharpened because in the week you're going to get a bit blunted and you need to come to the shop and say can you sharpen my sword and that's not just me that's you guys with each other sharpen each other to serve the purposes of God. Two minutes. Just read down again. It talks about these ministries to build up, to equip the saints for the work of ministry until, oh wow, until we all attain the unity of faith. Is that actually possible? It has to be possible because it's in the word of God. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature. You know, the measure of our maturity. We looked at the the means and the ministries of our maturity. The measure of our maturity. How much are we like Jesus? How much am I like Jesus in my marriage? And to my kids? It's not about what I wore or how high I lift my hands or how I squeeze my hands, my eyes even. (laughs) How much I read the Bible, how much I pray, how much am I like Jesus? Ask yourself that question. That's the measure. It's a high call, but he's calling us onward. There's a lovely verse in 2 Corinthians 3, 4, sorry. It talks about we are being changed from one degree of glory to another as we behold Christ. See, the more you, you, you do become what you behold, you behold Jesus, you spend time with him in your own private world, you'll become like him. How is our measure of maturity? It talks there about coming to 
the oneness, if you like. But it also says it's possible to be tossed to and fro. Tossed to and fro. You see, in the church today, there are lots of winds blowing. Fads. New ideas. Well, you know, the Bible, really, you know, it doesn't really fit with our culture, does it? So, let's adjust. Our, let's, let's maybe adjust. I haven't got time to go into it, but you can read for yourself there. Ministries of God will mature the folk. They'll speak the truth in love. And they'll warn against false doctrine. There's false doctrine in the church. Sadly. You must go. I tell you, when I preached from this pulpit, there was a group of people in Acts called the Bereans. Anyone heard of the Bereans? Bereans, funny people, aren't they? But the Bereans were those who heard what the guys said and went to the scriptures to see if these things be. I promise you, and I say to you from the bottom of my heart, you will not hear anything from this pulpit that is not in line with this book. And if you do, challenge me. We're growing to maturity. I just want to read you this from 2 Timothy 4, and I'm going to finish. Paul writes to his young prodigy, Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 8. I charge you. This is my commission, folks. This is a commission to me and any minister of the gospel. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and, and teaching. Think. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And Paul adds, For I, this is him speaking, I'm already poured out, being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me also, but to all who have loved his appearing. 
Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, we want to be a people who want to mature in you. We give you the right to adjust our lives how you want. We want to come under your lordship, under your kingship. And we say, Lord, build your church in this place. Make us one, Lord, by your spirit. Set a guard on our ears. Holy Spirit, speak to us when we hear error. It's a strong word, Lord, but I just pray, Lord, keep us on track with you. I ask any in here who don't know you today, Lord, that they will turn to the living God this morning. Thank you that you are the one who rescues from the wrath to come. Your word says one day, Lord, you will return, which will be a great day for the saint, but a terrible day for the sinner. So, Father, give us a heart for those who are lost. This week, I pray that we will be able to speak your word into a life and to see conversion that only you alone can do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.